Thanks for joining us on our U.S. Soccer President Candidate Forum Series. I'm Justin Brunken with the American Outlaws, and our goal is to help foster positive change for the Federation and U.S. Soccer by giving the candidates a platform to talk to and listen to our members, the fans. These forums are only possible because of our members' support. So feel free to become a member yourself, if you aren't already, at theamericanoutlaws.com. Visit our election page at voao.theamericanoutlaws.com forward slash ao dash election dash center. Yeah, I know it is a tad long, but it's where you can uh, see candidate questionnaires and the schedule for all the rest of the live forums. We'll see you at the next game in the stands. Listen and see if they address your issues and thoughts. Thanks and enjoy. Welcome to the sixth of our series of live forums we are holding with the candidates for president of the U.S. Soccer Federation. We appreciate all of you joining us tonight. We apologize for the technical difficulties, uh, but we're here now and we're going to get started. I am Donald, and tonight we are here with Eric Winalda, and we're going to get to know him and his positions on several key issues facing U.S. soccer today. Before we begin, let's get the veggies out of the way before we get to the meat of the, of the discussion. If you have a question that you want to pose to Eric tonight, Click the Q&A button and submit your question. Make sure you mark it to all panelists so we can read it. Please include your first name and the chapter you represent. And, of course, we're going to get to as many of your questions as we can. Our questions tonight are going to be mostly member-generated, and they're going to be fan-generated and fan-driven issues that other forms may be avoiding. With that, I would like to introduce our candidate this evening, Eric Winalda. Eric is a former U.S. men's national team player with over 100 caps to his name. He is a former coach on several levels of U.S. soccer and now is an analyst for Fox Sports. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I know we've had some scheduling difficulties over the last couple of weeks, but we really appreciate you being on tonight. And the floor is yours for an opening statement. Well, I appreciate you, too. What was that last time I was stuck on a flight and we couldn't couldn't somehow connect? And I was trying to actually – download everything in a, in a cab so that that this is a much better scenario i'm back home uh we just uh we got back from philadelphia a couple of days ago and uh it was good to be good to be there good to see everybody uh but this is the home stretch so there's a lot to, a, lot, a lot of things to talk about and there's a lot of interest i got a feeling because of the way my phone has been blowing up that uh this uh might go in a certain direction tonight from the start but i'm um, open to, to hearing all the questions well, we're going to first start in the area of coaching. And, and like I said before, you're a coach on several levels. Uh, you've been a coach on in different levels. The process for potential coaches to get the proper licensing to coach yeah. here and abroad has burdensome and expensive. What changes do you think you can make so that coaching education is affordable and allows for more high-level American coaches? Well, I think – and it's, it's, a, it's a phenomenal issue here because it's a system that we've created that – Sometimes there's a vicious cycle, and, and you get stuck in it. And as far as, as in my belief system, um, I, I think that we've taken it a little too serious too, uh, too soon, um, where our coaches, especially at the, at, the, at the youth level, they don't really need to be um, um, going crazy over, over pursuance of, of an A license, for example. Um, however, 
once there is uh, essentially an established goal here that, that a, a coach really thinks that this is a pathway um, uh, for them and this is going to be essentially a career, I think what happens here is, is, is that it becomes what it looks like from the Federation standpoint of a money grab. And they, they certainly have, have made it hard because it's, it's, it's so damn expensive. So I looked at the numbers. Uh, one of the ways that, that we can uh, start making it easier uh, is, is a, we're going to announce it tomorrow. I don't want to give everything away uh, as far as my platform, and we've waited a long time to release this. But uh, I, I think that the, the number one thing has to be uh, the state associations and their involvement as far as creating these programs and having uh, the ability to lessen the cost. Now, what that means usually uh, is, is some sort of help from the federation or, and or a change of policy, but I, I think this is where we need to start being more involved with our, our state associations, giving them a little bit more autonomy, a little bit more involvement. We see it on the referees, we need to see it on the coaching side where these uh, these programs start to knock the number down a little bit because it is way too expensive. I get lucky because when I went through the, the B and the A, you essentially, because they've encouraged uh, former national team players to take the course, uh, that you don't have to pay for it. But I've seen people go through that. I've, I've seen the immense pressure that they've been, been under uh, knowing they spent thousands of dollars and and this is their whole career is, is relying on how they perform in, uh, in a final test of pressing and, and with 20 people watching in, in the rain and uh, it, and it becomes uh, an enormous source of, of stress and anxiety for people where it, it, it needs to be one of those situations where we uh, do a much better job of creating a more of a, not to steal this from Steve Gans, but he loves to use that word joy. Don't get a lot of joy out of our coaches sometimes. Uh, so it's, it's, it's something I'm seriously going to look at. And, and how do you, how do you transfer that abroad? How do you get, you know, we talk about, you know, Bob Bradley has had some success abroad as a coach. You know, David Wagner is, this, is one of the coaches in the, in the Premier League. How do we get more American coaches in, in those positions? Is it more of an education problem or is it a perception problem? No, it's not even that. It's, it's very difficult to coach over there if you've never played there. Uh, to, to, that's, that's one. It's, it's one of those experience things that um, the realities of the Premier League or the Bundesliga, as far as I'm concerned, or even the second Bundesliga, it, you have to have an understanding of the league you're in. I mean, what Bob Bradley did uh, in his time in Scandinavia and in France and, and in Egypt, for that matter, but that's a national team, but in league play, um, experience is paramount. So it's very difficult for us to just assume that if you if you are a pretty good coach, that that you've been able to, to have a way of addressing your players, have a way of managing them, that that's just going to end up in the first division in, in the Premier League. It doesn't work that way. You're going to have to have uh, the, the experience of, and knowledge of what exactly that league is for, to have success over there. It's probably why someone like Bruce never made it over there probably understood that this, this probably wasn't the, um, the environment that he was going to have success in. I've seen it time and time again with turnover of coaches. Um, there is probably, we're probably a wave away from that with, with guys like Timmy Howard, who knows, but Jeff Cameron, what happens with him? I mean, there's a lot of players that have the experience in Europe that they might be able to translate that into the coaching. Uh, we have our first member question of the evening, and it's in the area of the NWSL. And Kerry from Milwaukee asked uh, the news out there today that the Boston Breakers' new potential owners uh, may have pulled right. out. Uh, what would you as U.S. soccer president do to ensure the stability of NWSL and to make sure that they have 10 teams this season? 
Look, I, I think this is going to be one of the surprises of tomorrow. Um, my my feeling is is that the United States Soccer Federation needs to become a partner uh, of, of of our league, and in, in the sense that they, when the federation, when we look at it in, in, a, in a sense of what their involvement is right now and how they subsidize the, the league to a certain extent, um, they can be more of uh, more of a help in this kind of situation. The reality is is you're going to need ownership. When you don't have solid ownership, um, and you're going to have to have people make the investment, this has to be a three to a five-year plan uh, where everybody's on board with it. And people always assume that you can get uh, the commercial dollars, and that's going to float the boat. But it needs to be more planned out. A three to five-year plan. I know Amanda Duffy, and I know she can handle this. Um, the, the number one thing that she needs to be con uh, considering right now is trying to find uh, someone who is is passionate and loves this game. Is going to be uh, a, a committed owner. I mean, we've seen great ownership uh, in the NWSL, especially through Merritt Paulson and maybe Dolly Hansen is going to do fantastic things in Utah. But um, I think the league really needs one thing, and that's to stand on its own. And, and these kind of situations really put you on nerve because we, we really want the league to succeed. Um, and I, I will say this tomorrow. I think that the United States Soccer Federation uh, needs to be a, take an active role in helping uh, the NWSL as they start moving forward. But it really starts with and ends with ownership. And, and along those lines, Corey from Tampa has a question about uh, our, the women's game as well. And he writes, the, the women's game has grown considerably in the U.S., but recently the perception is that the rest of the world is catching up in terms of talent and professional opportunities. How will you continue, continue to keep the United States ahead of the pack in these areas? Look, I think we have the best team in the world. We deserve the best league in the world. So it, my my feeling on this is going to be very different than than maybe other pe presidents in the past. I do believe uh, that that there needs to be a, a, a solid effort uh, made towards not just our, our women's national team, and I've I've gone on the record with that that feeling that we don't do do enough. But the NWSL has the potential, even though we're going through a really difficult time right now, to be the best league in the world. They, they do. And one of the things that I've uh, entertained and I've started to solicit the interest of international uh, broadcasting rights simply because if you're going to look at the model uh, and when the, what it could represent and some of the, 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 the real investment that we're seeing um, right now from, from other leagues, the FA has just put $75 million into the, into the women's league. So it, it, there is competition. It's not a perception that people are catching up. It's a reality. Um, the men have never reached the top in, in this country. The women are on top. So we, the, the reality is that we, we have to do what we can from the Federation standpoint to make sure they stay there. So um, it's a unique opportunity. It's going to surprise some people for, to hear me say this, but um, I've argued really adamantly that I, I believe that the, the, the men's side needs to go to the uh, FIFA calendar. What that would mean is they would essentially take um, – somewhat of a hiatus in the beginning of 19. That would be an unbelievable opportunity uh, for the, the NWSL and for all of us in this country to focus all of our energy on the women's game. Uh, the next World Cup that this country is going to play in will be the Women's World Cup, not the men's. And I think that opportunity needs to be uh, something that we all take a strong look at. Federation will have a role in this uh, and, and certainly reach out to Amanda Duffy to try and figure out a way to to keep things going for now. It's rocky road. It's a rocky road, in my opinion, right now. But I think uh, with good ownership and a good plan, three to five years, uh, things will look a lot different after they win it all again. You mentioned the uh, the FIFA calendar and your belief that we should shift to that. Uh, 
obviously the question is how realistically do you think that'll work? I mean, you think about places like Detroit, Minneapolis, you know, teams that are either MLS or attempting to get MLS with, how do you realistically see that calendar working to our advantage? You start at the appropriate time and you'd end at the appropriate time. That break is what people forget. I, I, I think one of the, as far as the visibility that our players uh, in, in the league get, it's a difficult time to have your playoffs right up against baseball at its best The NHL. The NBA is just starting. Of course, NCAA football is at its best as well. And then the, there's the, that big monster called the uh, NFL and we're back page news. So well, that's one of the realities that people need to look at. It's, it's very difficult for us to have a showcase final in, in bad weather in December. We did two years in a row now in Toronto, and thank God it cooperated this Glasgow. But we never know where it's going to be. We don't have the ability to really dump some commercial dollars into this because it's not the, either the money's allocated somewhere else or we just don't know how this thing is going to finish. Um, I, I know that's an NFL mentality, and I'm sure there would have been some upset people if it would have been – uh, Jacksonville uh, taking on Philadelphia because the reality is that that's not going to get as many eyeballs, but that shouldn't be our problem. Uh, the, the reality is July, take a break. Uh, everybody goes away for Christmas. When football, NFL goes away, we come back. The, the reality is, too, that we have enough, um, um, I would say, warm markets in the sense that uh, the weather will cooperate. You can unbalance the schedule. Atlanta's fantastic. Nashville's coming in, uh, and we'll be able to do that. Uh, we need to finish the season in, in June or the end of May simply because uh, there's just too much opportunity left on the table. People don't realize this, and sometimes I have a hard time explaining it, um, but when we talk about state associations, the people who are actually in, involved in the, this, this election that we are about to have, there are, there's probably $200 million left on the table every single summer. And some of that money, 2.5% of the total gate, would go to our state associations. In the event that you had an uh, international match in your state, your state, state association would profit from that. We only do about 16, 17, 18 games over the summer, mainly because Major League Soccer is, is, is playing right through the FIFA calendar. And there's, there's a lot of difficulty trying to find a window to play. Cincinnati is a great example here because – they played Valencia last summer. They had 35,000 people um, come to their stadium on a Wednesday night. That, would, that meant a lot to their state association, but it also proved that people wanted to see that, that style of football. So the truth is, is if we had three or four windows for them, uh, not only would, they, uh, would their state associations profit from that, but they would also have a, a, a wonderful window to promote their league, to promote, to get people in their stadium that wouldn't normally be there. That's a pretty good business plan as far as I'm concerned. Promote your league, promote the new start, uh, but celebrate the summer through exhibitions, not through some of the, some of the situations that we've made uh, our players live through, 105-degree weather in Dallas. Exhibitions are a lot better in those scenarios than real games that uh, you're playing for points. Uh, I noticed your uh, scarf behind you, and it ties a little bit into uh, uh, <laughs> the next question we have from Calvin from A.O. Boulder, uh, and he says, with the crew uh, looking – possibly to move to Texas, what becomes of Matt Free Stadium? You stated you were against national stadiums, but with no local team in a storied history, could that become an American Azteca? And I'll add to that question. I remember in your questionnaire you mentioned uh, the size stadium that you think that the U.S. men's and women's team should be playing in. Does Matt Free tie into that as well? Well, you know, I, it's, a, it's a weird question because I, I think I mean, what's happening to the crew is, is really uh, quite unfortunate. I think we're all upset about that as fans. Um, 
The fan model right now, well, at least the Federation's model right now, is smaller stadiums but hiking up the price. And I'm, I don't think that, that uh, that's the right way to go. Um, understanding that, that when we look at um, where our, our national team plays, the, the, the truth is, is that the Federation has a very different mindset than the players do. The players want what we'll play. And in my day, we used to go to Foxborough. We would, we would play at RFK because that was one of the better stadiums that we could be in, and it's a lot different now. But we weren't afraid of the big, the big crowds, um, and, it, and it, it allowed more opportunity for our fans to be able to, to, to come to the game. Um, the model right now is, is you know, the prices are well into the $100 and on the average, and they're smaller stadiums. Um, in, in answering your other question, I don't think I completely understood what you mean. Is, is, is creating a national stadium uh, what your question – is that where you were going with that? It, it, the question was you stated that you're against national stadiums. But if oh, correct. the leaves, would you think correct. that Matt Free could become an American Azteca? Uh, no. You know, nothing is like Azteca. Have you ever been there? It's terrible. Nobody would ever want to be that. But I do think, I do think that um, when the national team plays, and I've been through this, um, it, it, it's one of those things where Azteca, you understand exactly what you're getting into. And I'm very – very seldom do they play anywhere else. I think the Olympic team, when they failed to qualify many years ago, did play that game in Guadalajara. But Azteca is quite an advantage, and they know that. We don't really have that. We try to use the geographical uh, idea of moving around to, to make it difficult on our opponents. But I like the idea of moving around. I like going to see um, uh, the, the fan bases in different places. I thought the game against Panama this past year uh, in Orlando was fantastic. It was one of the better environments I've been in. Uh, I think that the, the players certainly responded. Uh, but moving around, in my opinion, is, is, is still a better way to go. We have a big country. It's a massive country, and I think everybody deserves a chance to see their national team. Uh, moving on, uh, there's a, uh, a question from Gary from KC, uh, and he says, Eric, you told a story recently about flying to South America to Copa America and finding out that the pay to players was being reduced. Was this mm -hmm. sort of thing what convinced you that we need change in the current administration? No, that, that's that's not. It wouldn't be a scenario where that particular scenario was would would make me want to do this. But it's it's a culmination of a lot of things. Um, Bob Bradley, you know, was was on a podcast with uh, I think Max and Herc and uh, with ESPN, and I, I, I and you could tell that there's somewhat of bitter. There's he's a little bit bitter towards the, the way he was treated with the national team. I, I just think you know it, the, the culture has never been right. In, in, in all my years, and even even now, uh, the Federation's relationship with its players it certainly could be better. Uh, it, it was never good in the 90s uh, throughout my time. Uh, I've witnessed it in my days as a commentator where you would have to, you know, essentially be with the team a couple of days prior to. And, and I, of course, what they say on camera and what they say to you in private are two different things. And it, it's always been a source of friction for the women as well. So um, that particular story was just an unfortunate incident, but it did detail uh, some of the tactics that the, the, the Federation would use to try and fragment our team. And uh, in that particular case in 1995 with the Copa America, we stuck together. And I've never been more proud to be a part of the team. And the success that we had was mainly because we were a very good team. And uh, the realities of, of, of the financial side of things and the fact that they tried to take advantage of us in the last second, and they don't really truly understand that phrase, good good faith, sometimes, um, that led to, to, to some, some issues there. But 
But the, the reality is, is that, that over the years, the Federation hasn't done a very good job uh, of having the back of its players. So, uh, you know, in the event that I win, love to change that. Uh, we have a fun question for you from Marcel from D.C. Uh, he writes, uh, what was your favorite goal that you've ever scored? And keep in mind, he says, I'm from Detroit, and it better have been the 1994 World Cup in the Silverdome. Look, I, um, the guys are on the wall right behind me. Um, it, it is one of the greatest memories any, anybody could ever have uh, to score in a World Cup. Um, Detroit was, was phenomenal that day. I still, uh, uh, I, you know, it's, it's funny how that works because, you know, sometimes you have options when you travel. And I can fly through anywhere, but for whatever reason, I love flying through Detroit. I do like the airport, you know, to be honest, but um, I've just always had um, just a warm spot for me in my heart for that because it was such a wonderful day. But uh, it actually probably wasn't the best goal or my favorite goal. I'm, I'm still, um, as, you know, the first goal I scored in the German Bundesliga meant the world to me. Um, there's so much riding on my shoulders as a young player and trying to, to carry the flag for all the many Americans that, that I didn't even know or that I was representing. Um, that one, that was against Oliver Kahn, and that was, uh, that was, that's got to be up there. But I'll give it to you. I'll give you the, the, the Silver Dome. It was, it was a great day. Full disclosure, I'm also from Michigan, so we appreciate you talking about my hometown with, 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 some, with some gusto. Well, it's not that, that's all I heard about. My roommate was Lexi for four, four or five years. Yeah, so I believe it. it. Those, I always, believe. always the same. Red wings um, all day. We have another question, and this is in the area of World Cups, uh, international tournaments. Uh, this is Melody from Charlotte. Uh, she writes, we hear all the talk about trying to get the 2026 World Cup, but there's Youth World Cups, the Club World Cup for now. Uh, beach soccer and futsal also have World Cups. Will you, as president, try to bring these smaller FIFA tournaments to the United States? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, you know, I was with Keith Tozer this past weekend uh, and Alex Parra, who are, are – um, very influential in, in the futsal uh, field, and the, the truth is, is that I, I'm a firm believer in that in, in that um, in, in that kind of soccer because a lot of a lot of um, opportunity there, opportunity there. But I do think that when you really look at the skill set of, of young players, it, it's something special to 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 have the the ability to host those kind of tournaments. Everybody knows the United States could do a fantastic job. But it's going to take some infrastructure. We have to start understanding uh, how how we can uh, gravitate a little bit more to, to futsal if that's going to happen. I just got to see um, uh, John Kowalski, former coach in uh, Pennsylvania. Um, he's a friend of all. Uh, he was my coach very briefly, coach at MLS, but was also in Pittsburgh for a long time. It was, I believe it was the 1989 maybe or maybe 92 futsal team with Jimmy Gabara and Brent Goulet. Uh, Peter Vermees, Tab Ramos, um, it was a, and David Vanoli. I mean, a lot of people have forgot about him, but I, I, I think that that was such a um, uh, a wonderful uh, opportunity for the the Americans to participate and do well. I, I, I get lucky because I get to see a lot of the beach soccer uh, working at Fox, so I'm familiar with that. But you know, these are great events, uh, and the more soccer, the better. I, I think that. That the, the futsal national team, as far as the women's side, need, needs to really have a. Uh, we have to, need to take a strong look at that. There's a lot of women that want to play, um, and that's a great opportunity for them to, to represent their country. So, a lot of things to look at. You, you get in trouble in these kind of things because you start prioritizing. But um, the more soccer, the better is the way I've always felt. Uh, and 
Uh, I think that's indicative in me wanting to invite 200 teams to uh, to uh, the United States over the summer, not 17. So, look, I, I think a lot can change with a little bit of new infrastructure in this country. Uh, for those of you who are just joining us, we're here with Eric Ronaldo. He's a candidate for U.S. soccer president. Uh, we have a lot of questions coming in. If you would like to submit a question for Eric, please, again, click the Q&A tab and submit your question. Mark it to all panelists, and please include your name and the chapter that you represent so that we can give you a shout-out on here before we ask the question. The question of the day, according to these uh, to this chat uh, Q&A tab, uh, is on promotion relegation, and a lot of people want to ask, and I've combined a bunch of uh, member questions into one. Can you further explain your take on promotion relegation, what formally needs to happen to get ownership on board, and, and how do you compete with the fact that they think it's a financial gamble? Uh, well, they're already in a financial gamble, to be honest. Um, it, the explanation of how um, promotion and relegation, when it is done pro appropriately, is the conversation that needs to be had. M maybe we are two, three, four years away from it. I'd like to see it happen a lot sooner. I'm clearly a firm believer in it. Um, but the reality is, uh, as far as the way that we do things in this country, um, and my firm belief and you know, I've had some some conversations with some 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 people about this even today. Uh, that when we service only 18 cities in the United States, that that really does shut the door on a lot of people. Now, some of the smaller, uh, whether that be in the NTSL or the USL, um, and formerly the NASL, we're not sure what's going to happen with that, but it uh, it certainly does not it does not look good. But the reason why that happens is because there really isn't a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, the ownership groups that are that are contributing $150 million to become a franchise to for a franchise fee. Uh, it sounds like a big number, it really does. Um, but the the other owners, uh, whether that be the Crafts or or someone who's been in from the beginning, uh, that was an initial 10 million um, investment, and it's been a slow bleed ever since. So they, it, it's a, they're losing money now. What from my experience and and what I believe. And maybe this is the, the, the part where, where my expertise is in, on the business side is actually going to, to do, suit, suit me well, is that I understand the television business completely. And I understand that we've undervalued ourselves. We've made a big deal of this relationship with Sarkinet and marketing. Um, we've, we're currently contracted until 2022. But when that deal is up, there, that, there, there's certainly an opportunity to, to generate a heck of a lot more revenue um, uh, for our league and for our national team. Now, the, the most important part is the inclusion of a second division. That drama needs to be uh, on, on our airways. People need to see that, and the visibility of our of our teams can never can never grow uh, in any of these other markets unless we tie the first and second division together and the third division, which means promotion and relegation. Um, the games are better. Um, again, I have to say that, that it does not work without a schedule change. And the reason for that is if you are relegated, for example, in December, uh, you're right in the middle of a, de a December window, which uh, you will not be able to rebalance your books because the, the transfer window is, um, is not going to be an indication of, of what these players are worth. Meaning if you finish at the appropriate time, and you have several players, you can sell those players and you can rebalance your books and, and figure out how to do your, your business, but you are held accountable for bad performance. Uh, that is the number one thing that, that needs to be said. The competitive nature of our league and our professional soccer needs to improve. The only way that you're going to improve that 
is through promotion or relegation. Whether it happens immediately um, is, is yet to be seen. Uh, but I am currently, again, soliciting uh, interest for the Lamar Hunt Open Cup. And what that means is, is that, uh, and that, that, that space or that, that property, if you will, currently is sitting on a zero. It's not worth anything. It's actually, it's actually a shame and it's astonishing to me that this hasn't happened before. But I can guarantee you this, that there will be millions of dollars that comes into the Federation. Uh, in the event if I'm president, because uh, the number one thing that I will look to do is to increase the value of the Lamar Hunt Open Cup. It's, a, it's imperative. And it actually shows our ownership the value of competition in lower division football. So what, what that means is that kind of competition, it creates the kind of drama, which is something that people will buy. And when people are interested, uh, the commercial value goes up. Uh, the television values, the revenues go up, and we're looking at a completely different product. Not $47 million a year, probably $400 million a year. That's a better number. You mentioned Soccer United Marketing and the fact that there's a contract that ties everybody in until 2022. I'm curious, you know, obviously this is one that uh, a relationship that has been uh, a point of contention for many fans. How, do you plan on reevaluating that, or do you? how do you – how do you predict the relationship between U.S. soccer and Soccer United Marketing to grow or, or even change while you're president? Well, I, I think, you know, there's there's some policies that, that certainly need to be put in place for the future. Um, uh, that This relationship that will go all the way in 2022 is, is, is something to be concerned about, but we've never had a procurement process for, which, which allows a bona fide uh, uh, bidding for soccer properties, which is is the reason why a lot of people have have gone after this relationship, to, you know, said bad words like collusion, and said that this is a, a relationship that is unhealthy. Now, in my opinion, it it it, it truly should be changed, um, and soccer United marketing should be a part of that bidding process come 2022. But that doesn't mean they'll win. The reality is. Um, soccer Network marketing has its function. It is the marketing arm of Major League Soccer. It has been instrumental in the growth. It actually saved this league if we're being honest in 2002. But the way it did it, that's, the people, that's what people need to understand. Soccer Network marketing is making money off of outside sources, meaning L3 or the Mexican national teams, and then that money is being filtered back to our ownership group and or the, the, the national team. So the reality is we'd like to do this on our own. You know, we, we don't, we, you know, the stock marketing is a, is, is a model that worked. Uh, it has caused a lot of confusion. It's certainly Kathy Carter does not deserve uh, this kind of attention because this is not a fair representation of, of her character. Uh, she's running for president and she should be running for president on her own merit. We got, you know, a lot of people taking shots at her. Uh, that doesn't mean that she wouldn't be capable as a president. It just means that people think that because of the relationship that she would essentially have an agenda attached to her actions as president, which is not fair. But it's, it, it, the, the reality as well is that it would be assumed because that's the way it's been up to now. So um, secondary marketing is a, is a, is a tricky uh, problem. Uh, it, it'll be, it'll be a, still part of the process all the way in 2022, but certainly has to be reviewed and policies need to be put in place to make sure this never happens again. Uh, for those of you out there, we have about 30 minutes left. Uh, Eric, I want to shift into one of the reasons why we're here, the fans. Uh, and Justin from AO Seattle uh, asks, you, uh, the Federation is often criticized for not being able to relate with fans and their opinions. 
how would you help bridge the gap between the Federation and American Outlaws and or other fans? It's a great question. I, I think one of the the, 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 the things that which was really strange um, was about six, seven years ago, the United States Soccer Federation made a determination that they were no longer a member-based organization. They were going to be a fan-based organization. What that should have meant and what that actually means is, is, is the issue. Um, it was when we realized that we had a real appetite for the game and fans were, were coming in droves to see the games and things were going well. That doesn't mean we take advantage of them. So one of the, you know, and that's, that's where, that's what, what irks me a little bit is that in the course of the last four or five years where we've seen exponential growth as far as some of our stadiums are, are, are a lot fuller than they used to be. Uh, the fan bases are fantastic and some of the stadiums are rocking when you get there. Um, this is a, it, this is an opportunity more more so than anything else to not just start you know going oh one two three four let's see I mean, how many people you think are here as opposed to really figuring out ways to connect with our fans to um, to to make it about membership and that's 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 the word that gets lost in this the federation should never make it about anything but members um, and our fans have been fantastic but we we, we need to start figuring out ways to make it a little bit easier for them and to make those ticket prices go down. I think playing, I think we're ready. I, you know, I look, maybe we weren't ready 10 years, 12 years ago, uh, 20 years ago to, to, to play in any stadium uh, and, and not be afraid of, of seeing empty seats. I don't think it's going to happen anymore. I just don't. Uh, and we're going to go through this tough phase because our team fails. Uh, but once things, once, once we get things back on track, uh, our fans have always been the strongest part of it. I mean, back in the old days, I was somewhere in this room. I have a Sam's Army, uh, which is the old school. That's a long time ago. But that was the beginning of it. And, and what it is now and what the American Outlaws, which I'm pretty sure I've got one of those too. So if you can see that. Yeah, we got I keep you. it with me. I keep it with me because it's important. And when we had four or five fans running out of a stadium or running for their lives when we were playing against El Salvador, that's not the case now. We, they have the songs, the, um, the way that we stick together, and just, just the fan base overall and what American outlaws have become. Uh, we need to take care of them. You know, there, there's, and, and sometimes I'm sure you feel uh, that, that not, not enough is being done um, and, and as far as an outreach program from the Federation. It's just that we're assuming, uh, you know, they'll come, they'll buy a ticket, like, you know, and, and let's, let's hike the price up another 20 bucks. Got to stop doing that. And along those lines, like how would your presidency incorporate the views of fans and include them in the governance of the Federation? You know, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, it really is be, because the way that things have been done, and I'm, I'm, I'm certain of one thing that it needs to change. And I'm not entirely sure how much change uh, will incur will incur over the next four years, but you know the voice should always be heard uh, from, from our fans, and and that's really the heartbeat of, of of everything that we do. So I don't think we want to let them in all the meetings. Uh, it might get a little too loud. We have, you still got to beg the gavel a few times, I guess. But I do think that uh, um, you know to your to your point, I think their voice should be it should be certainly heard. Uh, we have a question from Ofer from Toledo, and uh, Ofer writes, as U.S. soccer president, how would you grow and support soccer in our inner cities? Well, look, I'm, I'm going to announce this tomorrow, as I said, but we put, we're putting together a program which ensures that every state association will have funding, uh, and there will also be a policy attached to that, that they will be accountable for that funding. It's going to be a lot of money. Everyone's asked, 
what are we going to do with that 144 million dollars that's sitting in in a war chest and how do we reinvest it um, I truly believe that when we go through the youth and we and we do it in an appropriate way that we can start reaching out uh, to the kids who can't afford it at least at least lessening the cost pay to play is a big thing um, the academy systems seem to be taking over and we don't have a lot of our talent um, that that gets overlooked or falls in, in, you know between the cracks that we we just miss those kids um, because it's too damn expensive so I, I think that one of the one of this is probably the main point of my platform is that money's going to go back into the system and we're going to find them I, I did a uh, a video that it was about I believe it or not eight years ago and the whole premise of the video it was supposed to be a, a pitch for a show that we were going to create an American player like American Idol style like I was going to find him you know and the reality was he was out there and his name was Christian Pulisic and now he is is everything that we would want um, uh, in a young talented American you know I don't know how many more of uh, you know, Christians are out there but uh, his story is 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 fairly unique uh we've lost we've lost uh, Jonathan Gonzalez in, in under very unfortunate circumstances uh but this is how this happens and we need to realize and recognize that um as as scouts and and as people who love this game um if we're going to get better as a soccer nation we have to start making sure that we throw that net out a little bit farther than we are right now. It cannot, I've said this before, I'll say it again, you will never find an elite player in an elitist system. And tying along those lines, uh, Scott from Newport News asked, uh, in terms of player development, especially among youth, how does futsal fit into your program? Look, I, I'm, I'm really taking an interest in this. Um, I can't make any promises uh, you know, before the election, but again, I have met with the leaders uh, of, of futsal. I think that there are there are programs, for example, um, like the Boys and Girls Club of America, which is uh, attached actually to my boss at Fox, uh, and I was a part of that event this year. And this this is this is a program that exists uh, for most most schools. There are, there are over 3,000 schools across the country. Everyone has an auditorium, but these the the, the program is is there to to help families who can't get to their kids because they're working. So they've created programs scholastically for the kids to stick around and have somewhere to be and they'll be monitored and they'll be taken care of between those two two thirty to five six o'clock hour where where mom and dad can't get them because they're working. And I think that this is a great opportunity to partner. Um, that that there needs to be, uh, especially with some of the, the the markets that we're talking about and places across this country are going to get pretty cold and kids are going to be waiting for you know the snowplow to go by before they get picked up. But there is a place that we have to start finding these facilities. We can't build everything. They are already there. And partnering and, and just being a, a, just a little bit more innovative in our thinking about, you know, let's, let's, let's figure out how we can, the more soccer, the better. And futsal for me is, is I got lucky because I was that kid. I, I didn't care where I played. I was in the backyard or it was on grass. I was barefoot. It didn't matter. I played in the street. And I would argue that, that that's kind of where you hone your skills. And that's, that's we don't always, it, it field space is impossible to, in some places. So recognizing that as an asset and futsal, you will become a better player in a hurry. If we start organizing that and we start really throwing some dollars behind it, who knows how far we can take it. But let's face it, Ronaldinho, Robinho, Ronaldo, this is, that's, that's the kind of player you get when you, when you dedicate some time to futsal. 
And sticking with uh, youth development, uh, Kevin from Portland, Maine, uh, writes about the middle and middle school, high school game, and I'll even throw college into that. And he writes, uh, should that play more of a prominent role in development and or the recruitment of players that wish to play in college or beyond? And should they make these school options a point of emphasis since they are more affordable options than expensive club soccer? Right. Yeah, here's what happens. And this happens a lot. I, I'm, I should have invited my daughter Tatum in here. She was the one that was helping me set all this up, by the way. Uh, you you got to help that out. But the, 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 the truth is, is I just came from my son's um, um, high school game. And the true story the other day, uh, he plays JV. Um, it's my son, Tim, he's, he's probably not worried about ever being a pro. Let's just put it that way. But he loves the game. And we were at a local high school. And I went to go pick him up, and it was raining, and, and we sat there, and I said, listen, just do me a favor. Can you just stay with me for 20 minutes? I want to watch some of this game. And he said, why? And I said, you never know. And the reality was, I'm glad I stayed. Um, about 20 minutes into the game, there was a kid, number eight, for one of the one of the teams. That was absolutely terrific. Now, I was lucky because I knew the, the high school coach, so I called him, and I, I said, what's the story with this kid? And it's the same deal. It's 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 a well it's not always the same deal but the, it was a disadvantaged uh, situation he comes from a broken home he's had a couple of brothers rides a bike to school uh, but he's one heck of a soccer player and he can't afford to to you know to play club soccer he plays in a Sunday league believe it or not uh, with his his uncle and and some of his family members because he just loves to play and he doesn't pay for that either uh, which just it, 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 that's the question where are where we start looking. And to your question, this is why they don't watch high school anymore, and this is why high school is getting a bad rap. The, the, the level of the game is determined by the worst player on the field. What that means is the scouts will, will see a game, and they will, they will see the right back or the left back or maybe the center forward or even the goalkeeper uh, isn't up to speed, and they, they say, this is a waste of my time, and they leave. That's unfortunate because I believe that, that through a, the, a scouting network, the kind that I use, I rely on every source. If anybody calls me and says and I, that, that, I, that I'm going to value their opinion, I'm going to go find out what that player was all about. It cannot be a, a scenario where all we do is recruit from academies. That can't be the way that we do things. If we do that, we are, we are selling ourselves short and we're being lazy and we're not doing the work necessary. And we're cheating some kid out there um, on the boys or the girls side uh, of an opportunity if we don't really pay attention a little bit more. So hang in there. Uh, I will I will go on the record to say that I think that that uh, telling kids that they can't play high school soccer uh, if they're going to be in the academies that's a mistake. That's not uh, a mandate that the United States Soccer Federation um, should have. They don't get to play God. They don't get to cheat kids out of a high school um, experience. That's just that's just not right. I don't know about you, Donald. But I don't know what kind of high school days you had. I mean, did you have fun when you were in high school? Uh, I did until I had to quit because of club soccer. Um, Are you serious? Well, so you, soccer for me, club soccer was the reason why I didn't was not able to progress to varsity because they plucked from that club level. I couldn't afford that. Do you regret it? No, because I ended up finding a different calling, um, and I think that's why we're here today. So. Um, there it is. Okay. Well, it worked out for you. So Way to not go along with my story. Though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to get, we have a lot of questions on youth development, so we're going to get back and get back to that in a second. Uh, Carrie from AO New Haven wants to go back to 
uh, what we were talking about, the fan, uh, fan experience. And she asked, what do you think can be done to improve uh, the U.S. the membership program for U.S. soccer members who pay a yearly membership fee? I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but they have yep. U.S. Yep. soccer membership, like $55 a year it starts at. What can you do to improve that program? I would love to see us, us at least engage in town halls. I, I think that that would be awesome. Those need to be parties thrown by the Federation for their for our fans, one. And they need to get a break on ticket prices. That's the bottom line. If anybody that is engaging uh, with our country and, and, and is a devoted fan, uh, they need to to get preferential treatment. Bottom line. That's I, I don't know I don't know how else I can say it. And I I think that 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 encourages everyone to to, to become a part of it. I know I, I recognize this year, and I didn't know this existed, that in this actual election there was. An election inside an election for the the, two, the fan vote, which I think is awesome. I'm hoping it's that that eagle guy. I think he likes me. If if the eagle guy likes me and he votes for me, I might have a chance. There you go. Um, we're going to go back to uh, youth development. Um, and Kevin, also from Portland, Maine, uh, asked, would you consider implementing a development model like the ADM used by USA Hockey? This is a mandated way of teaching the game to younger players and is credited for drastically improving the overall skill development of hockey players in the United States. Yeah, hockey got its act together um, in 2004 um, when, when they recognized that they were going through uh, a, a, a very unique space that we're, we're going through right now. We, we've seen our, our registration go down significantly. Uh, it's down 9.5%. That should be a, a, a source of worry for us. Um, but the, the, the truth is, is that the federation is, and, and whether I would, would would be the one that takes a hard look at how we identify our players, this becomes a scenario where the federation changes the rules because they want the credit. And by saying that you can only play for the academies or you can only go through one, one type of identification process is a mistake. Uh, one of the things that I was really discouraged with with U.S. Club is that they're sending kids on these uh, all expense paid trips uh, to have these kids have an experience to go to France, to go to, to Holland or Germany and to really experience what it's like over there. And, and those experiences are invaluable. The Federation has now chimed in and said, you can't do that anymore because Christian Pulisic was recognized when he didn't have our crest on. That's embarrassing. I, I, I think that, that we need to grow up a little bit as a Federation. We shouldn't care um, about where kids are, are, are identified. Um, what we should do is prevent, as, I mean, uh, provide as many opportunities for them to do just that, is to, to, to try and fund some of these programs. Uh, we do need some cohesion there. i got to be honest. I, I think that sometimes we get we have two state cups and everybody's fighting about it. There's a lot of work to be done in the youth space. And, um, but I do think, I do think if, if, if we're being true to it, um, the way that we are going about this as a federation, uh, we are in the business of right now, well, not me, but the Federation is in the business of picking winners and losers. They shouldn't be. They should be a resource uh, to all of the clubs. Uh, but this, this academy approach, the mentality of the academy has really thrown us for a loop to a certain extent because we, our parents believe that that's the only way to go. And it shouldn't be. The, the Federation shouldn't be a detriment to the growth of, of club soccer. Um, and, and how we identify players is a big part of that. I, I, I don't know where I would be uh, if Ziggy Schmidt didn't get in his car and drive to Simi Valley uh, in 1986. Five. Uh, wow. 1986. 
and actually sit in a lawn chair and watch my high school game. That's how I was discovered. He walked up to me and he said, where's your dad? And I said, he's right over there. And he said, I guess I'll see you at the state team tryouts. And I said, I didn't make my district team. He said, you didn't make the district team. Where's your dad? And I said, he's right over there. I said, and he says, I'll see you at the state team tryouts. And I said, I told you I didn't make it. He goes, I'm the state team coach. I'll see you there. Where's your dad? I'm going to go talk to him. That's how that happened. And that's, that's not, that's not a common occurrence anymore. We have created a stage where we can only be, um, evaluated and or found if we are in, in certain environments. And that's, that's not healthy. It needs to be, it needs to be changed. Definitely rebooted and looked at. Shifting gears for a minute. Uh, if you win, there's going to be a major decision that you're going to have to think about in the form of a new coach. And uh, Alex from Chicago asks, should you win, when would you plan on appointing a new head coach for the men's national team? And are there any names well, I, that you're looking at? Um, it, it isn't a big list. To be honest, I think what makes perfect sense right now is to probably hire from within. Um, I think that uh, we have a unique situation because of uh, failing to qualify and the fact that we have a very talented group uh, of, of boys that are you know, under 20 right now. And they, they're, they're actually through this failure, they're going to get an opportunity to really gel as a group. Um, if, if we're not putting Fab Ramos on that list and we're just silly, uh, I think Brad Strudel was doing a lot of, uh, of fantastic things from the inside. You mentioned David Wagner. I want to find out where Stevie Sharondolo is. I want to know if he wants to come home. I'm gonna, but I, I, I certainly think that instead of picking a coach and saying you're the man, you got it, take it from here. Um, this is where a president that actually can evaluate and having a soccer IQ it becomes a, an enormous uh, strength because now it's it's a situation where you're going to involve other voices into this thing. But the, the truth is, is I understand how to qualify. I also understand what it means to play in a World Cup. I understand that the value of the players that we have and the recognition of, of finding the right coach for them, not the other way around. Um, in the past, maybe we've looked at the idea of hiring a Jurgen Klinsmann so he can tell us all what to do. Uh, the reality is, is that we need to embrace the identity of the players that we have right now. Uh, I didn't see the extent of McKinney's injury, but uh, you know when you take Tyler Adam and, and you look at Kellen Acosta and Pulisic, uh, Miazga is, is, is really making some waves right now, as is Karnovic, um, uh, uh, I Well, Yedlin is how old now? He's not in that. He might have to be just too old, and, I, and he's dealing with a severe nutmeg from, from a couple of days ago. But the truth is we have, a, we have a talented group that we recognize the personality of that team before we select a coach. I'm not trying to skate out of it. Just being honest, I think that uh, having the understanding of what the team's needs are before you – so like the coach is imperative in this kind of situation. Uh, going back to uh, U.S. soccer governance, uh, Kathy from A.O. Houston writes, uh, have you spent much time in soccer house in Chicago and what specific changes would you make systematically to the Federation that would enable positive change? Unfortunately, I spent a little bit too much time. First thing I would do is get some air conditioning in that, that building. That might help. Um, now, look, I, I think that, that this is – this is a unique question because there is the, the assumption that the, that the new president uh, or someone like my, uh, in, in my situation, for example, is going to come in and just overhaul the whole thing. Uh, that is not the case. The, the way that the, the role of the president is to be a consensus builder. 
um, and understanding um, all of the people that work within uh, underneath the Federation umbrella is very important. Um, sometimes, you know, when, when we, we deal with some of the employees which, which, which come out and they give speeches and they, they, they certainly sometimes come off uh, in, in a manner that, that maybe it's, it's not so well received from our state associations. Maybe the state associations sometimes feel that the people in the soccer house have been uh, a voice that is more of a, a mandate or a dictation than, than a listener. Um, I, the way I like to do things is I like to bring people together. I like to, to I want people to enjoy their job. I want them to enjoy what they're doing, and whether that be on the field or off the field. And creating those environments and that culture is, is a necessity for all of us. So, and I'm not trying to say I'm the fun president, but I certainly, uh, I, I like to, to, to you know, foster those kind of environments that people want to be a part of. So uh, air conditioning will help, though. I, I do think it's a problem. I, I, a soccer house uh, could very well turn into a museum, but uh, it, it is uh, it's a place that needs to be a little bit warmer. Even though I want air conditioning, I want it to be a warm environment. You get what I'm saying. I do. Uh, the last two questions we have are going to focus on the women's side of things. Uh, the first one comes from Corey from Tampa, and he writes, a lot of attention has been placed on the progress of the youth men's national teams, but not a lot has been said about the women. What changes, if any, will you implement to place more emphasis on women's youth development and cultivating the future of the women's national team? We have an issue there. because My, my daughter is in the middle of this. Um, I think that we've overexpanded the DAs. I think that um, the, the developmental academies are not a direct re reflection of our best talent at times. They just aren't. And I, I think it's, it's starting to, to show itself as these, as these younger players start to uh, filter their way uh, into their careers, whether that be collegially or uh, with the women's national team. I mean, there, there's a couple of, of exceptions uh, in there. And, and I think the reality was the collegiate model used to work. It used to work uh, for the men and the women. And the, the, the reality is, too, that, that when you look at the way that we address collegiate soccer, especially on the women's side, and, well, the men's as well, but all of the roadblocks and the red tape and spring soccer has no value whatsoever. Um, it's difficult. It's very difficult to, to, for, for our players to continue their trajectory uh, and, their, and their progression. So a lot of things to be looked at there. I do think that we could do, we could do a better service to our uh, young women, if we can figure out a way to make club soccer um, more competitive. And we need to start celebrating our clubs as opposed to trying to create the environments uh, of the academy, which at this point, in my opinion, uh, is not a re reflection of how, how, how good our, our, our women can be. Sticking with that, uh, Kelly from Atlanta writes, uh, scheduling women's national team games on turf playing surfaces has been a major port of contention in the last three years. You obviously right. know that working at Fox. How will U.S. soccer decide on venues for the women's national team, and will venues with turf still be in contention? Um, you know, it's really unfortunate, and, and it just really seems to be uh, these two are, are tied to each other, that, that every time the women uh, take the field that we happen to be on a turf field. The other issue is there, and this is the part that nobody talks about. I remember this in the 90s. Um, they're being used uh, because they're, they're, they're testing a venue. Um, and that's a venue that currently happens to be turf, but that doesn't mean that it might eventually be grass. Uh, they know it's going to be uh, a, a sellout. Well, not necessarily a sellout, but it's going to generate enough interest. And they get to essentially test the infrastructure 
of the city that they're they're going to, whether that's at Chattanooga or um, uh, New Orleans, it doesn't matter. They're always trying uh, to figure out where the next uh, place is. I think it's unfair. Um, I, 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 I've, I've got my issues here. I, I, I've gone on the record to say that I think equal pay at the national team level is something that we need to look at. Equal treatment certainly uh, needs to be a part of it. But this goes back to a relationship that needs to get better um, between uh, our, our national team and our federation. It's, the respect that they deserve is not what they're getting. Um, and there are reasons why they end up on these turf fields. Uh, there, are, there are also a ways to avoid it. Uh, and, I, and I think that as president, I would certainly evaluate this in a different way. Look, I want to I take a strong, strong line on this. I think that the NWSL has, uh, has a better chance of being the best, uh, the best league in the world uh, than, than MLS does. I think that's just a fact. I mean, it's, it's my opinion, but I, it would be very difficult for Major League Soccer to ever really get there. I do think steps need to be made uh, to ensure that the NWSL doesn't just survive, that it thrives. And um, having the ability to, to allow our women to, to test these markets, I get what they're up to. I understand that. Uh, and, but it really has hit a nerve with, with our women. That conversation needs to change, um, whether that, that, that be through the, the association uh, and or um, our national team leaders. But I think they know what's going on, and they've been taking advantage for a long time. I, I, I would have no intention of, of being that kind of president. I got four daughters, man. This means probably more to me than, than most. Absolutely. Uh, you touched on uh, – first of all, I'd like to thank everybody out there who submitted questions. We've had a ton of questions tonight. Uh, we're running out of time, so I want to end with one final question and give you uh, a closing statement opportunity. But this question comes from Phoebe from Hoboken, and the question you, you alluded to it earlier is about pay equity. What does pay equity look like for you and how would that structure work? Well, I, I think, I mean, equality. I mean, you, it, as far as how, how we address how much our players are getting paid is it's, it's certainly um, something that, that when you look at the, the, the value, um, and, and this is something that actually happened today, um, for example. We, we're trying to increase the value of the league. We're trying to figure out a way to pay our players more. Um, within the business structure, uh, that, that exists right now, the only way that we can uh, start seeing those uh, um, uh, those paychecks going up, is, and then the reality of that is is through a couple of ways, and that is creating the interest, increasing the visibility, being a better partner from from the federation standpoint that allows them to have to be marketed, and by marketing the players and giving them uh, that opportunity, it's very difficult for us to just show up and play a game and then expect people to buy tickets. There is, uh, you know, essentially a science to this, um, and that's why I think the federation can help. But the, the right now, of course, the, the numbers are low. Keep in mind, though, when the, when when Major League Soccer started, and I would, I would, I don't want to make too much of a likening to these these two scenarios, but the then and the now. If you look at 1996, where the men's game was in Major League Soccer, some of those salaries were $24,000 a year. Um, the highest paid player. Um, and I was one of the one of the guys that came back and, and was celebrating. Well, was, I was turning down a million dollar deal to play for 175. That was the deal. Those numbers were incredibly low, um, but it was a part of the building process and it was a part of building the brand of Major League Soccer. That's where we are right now with the NWSL. These are tough times, but uh, I think the cooperation from the federation and starting to to generate more commercial dollars through international visibility. 
uh, the, the, this league has the potential to do great things. It's, it's, it can't just say, we can't just snap your fingers and make it happen. Um, the money's got to come from somewhere. And I think um, people need to be patient with that. But I, I, I do believe, uh, I do believe in the NWSL and I believe they have a wonderful future. It's, it might take a little bit more time than we'd like, but uh, this is certainly the building process. We have just under a minute left. So I wanted to give you a chance to give your elevator closing speech to uh, the members out here. Uh, so I'll let you have the floor. No, you got it. Um, look, it's been an amazing ride the, the last three months. Uh, it's been it's been wonderful meeting uh, a lot of the people across the country, especially uh, the fans, uh, American Outlaws. Unfortunately, the ones in San Diego. You remember that day? I, I, we we got to watch our team not qualify. Uh, maybe I would say this: we have better days uh, ahead. But I I do think this. I, I do believe in this country. I do believe in its potential. Um, I'm, this learning process that I've gone through in the last three months has validated some of my belief system over the last decade, I would say. But this is our time. They, even though we have been punched in the face and we are not going to a World Cup, sometimes that needs to happen. You know, it's, 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 it's a scenario where I believe that we're going to get up, we're going to dust ourselves off, we're going to be a better soccer nation for it. Um, I can't wait till, till February 10th. I'm hoping that the uh, – uh, the vote goes my way, and we're going to start making this a soccer nation. And I'm uh, I'm very uh, very positive about that. Well, Eric, we'd like to thank you uh, from all of us here at AO National, and and uh, on behalf of all our members, thank you for joining us this evening. We appreciate you working through the scheduling difficulties and the technical difficulties <laughs> to be with us. We finally no had fun, and it was well worth it. We appreciate it. We wish you best of luck in the last couple of weeks of your campaign. And I'm sure we're going to see you down the line. Uh, that's going to do it for us tonight, guys. We here want to thank you all for tuning in. Thank you again out there for the for bearing with us as we get everything in place. Uh, but I think you had a nice little forum. Without your membership, this would not be possible. If you know someone who's interested in these forums, we obviously have our election center webpage. Uh, go to that. Click on that. We're going to have all the info about uh, Eric Winola's campaign and all the other candidates uh, on there. Next week, we will have our final two live forums, Carlos Cordero and Paul Caligiuri. Those dates are still to be determined, but check your emails, stick with us, and we'll get back to you when we have those dates and time finalized. But for now, thank you guys so much and good night.